Good morning, everyone. Welcome to Spin Class. We're talking politics. I'm your host, Michael Fragan, here with former Assemblyman Phil Goldfeder, current <laughs> Assistant Vice President for Government Affairs at Yeshiva University. Yeshiva University. And we are on the Nachum Siegel Network, NachumSiegel.com, around the world on a Roots Sheva, Israel National News slash radio. Welcome to another Thursday morning of political talk. And it's almost like we are continuing in a great reality show not the apprentice but it's more like every week it's it's just like this well can we form a government type of show can we can we get government right type of show can we fix washington type of show i think it's important that our listeners understand that at the end of every show we both commit to each other that regardless of what happens next week we're going to change the subject. Um, it's at, impossible. It's like a train wreck. As, as the longer it goes on, it's just hard to look away. It's hard to sort of divert your attention to anything else. Well, it's like this great campaign. I mean, this was one of the greatest campaigns. 2016 was one of the greatest campaigns, I look, I've ever seen. And I'm talking about at any level. It was just... It was just really entertaining, and that continues to be the case. But we have these twists and turns. It's like a, a soap opera. It's better. I mean, I watched The Apprentice a couple of times. This is even better what's going on now. The question is, it's no longer about a campaign and, and, and running for office while government is running. This is about actually running government, You know, putting cabinet secretaries in place to do a job that needs to be done. This is real. This yeah. is as real as it gets. This is as real as it gets. Actually, and I think that's important for all of us to uh, think about. This really matters. You know, the stuff that's going on here, I mean, we can joke about it. We can laugh about it. We can observe and we can say, oh, you know, another week, another you know, two steps forward, one step back, or one step forward, two steps back, however you want to phrase it, another week of a little bit of chaos. But this chaos is actually has real ramifications. And actually, before I forget, I have to give a little shout out to our friends over at Royal Wine and to the Herzog family for having a absolutely magnificent kosher food and wine experience this past Monday. Uh, I actually was at the early show, not at the late show, so that was a little less crowded. But at that early show, just absolutely fantastic. The showcasing of kosher wines from around the world we really arrived, uh, as for those who are wine aficionados. I mean, there just is so much out there to go ahead and sample. And uh, hats off to uh, 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 Jay and the whole team over at Royal Wines for putting on really, really a great show. And I urge everybody, if you missed the Kosher Food Wine Experience, you can actually still get to... Oh, no, that's tonight. Well, I was going to say, you could still get to L... You, I mean, I'm sorry, it was last night. You could, I was going to say you could still get to L.A., but you got to wait, I think, to London or something like that coming up or next year. So that being that, but I want to give a quote. Wait, wait, Michael, I, know you, I know you're about to say something. <laughs> Go ahead. Michael, I, you know, unfortunately, I was not invited to Kosher Food & Wine. I thought there was a rule about bringing your co-host along to these events, but I'm, I'm confident you brought me back a nice bottle of wine. I have some wine for you, and we will we will cork that. It is a little too early right now to get started on that, but, uh, you know, it's, this is more Bloody Mary type of, type of day. But uh, I would say, uh, Mr. Goldfeder, uh, Yeshiva University really should be comping you some, uh, you know, some little <laughs> swag for for that. Uh, I hope President Joel is listening. Well, absolutely, and and no question. I mean, look, you could probably get into the VIP section. I did not try for that. I went with, you know, I went in the cheap seats. Uh, but you know, I think there was a great quote that I saw from General Tony Thomas, who's the head of the Special Operations Command, also known as SOCOM. And he was given a talk yesterday, and you know we'll talk about why this really matters, right? 
He says, our government continues to be in unbelievable turmoil. I hope they sort it out soon because we're a nation at war. And it's a sobering thought. I mean, this is in the wake of General Flynn's ouster or his resignation, depending on how you want to do it, his firing. I mean, there wasn't a you're fired from... And then the president, of course, yesterday just kind of denied that he got rid of him and said it was the media's fault. But here's a soldier, and we often look to the military or the armed forces as kind of that arbiter of what's right and wrong. You know, they, they're not political. And here he's saying is, guys, get your act together. You know, it's funny, a point you made just a couple of minutes ago is is that we often sort of poke fun at our government officials. You know, I was a, a member of the assembly and I served in Albany and, and everybody talked about the Albany dysfunction and can we get anything done? And we there's not a day that goes by or, or an hour in a day that goes by where we don't talk about the dysfunction in Washington. But it's more than just about political theater. There's uh, Legislators have a job to do. Right? They have a job to run our state, run our city, run our country. And if they're not doing their job, then they're not focused on, on the budgets of various agencies. They're not focused on, on policies that are, are going to affect everyday Americans, everyday New Yorkers here in New York. And so it's, you know, we joke about it. It becomes sort of uh, banter for, for, for our offices. But if government is dysfunctional, then our country is dysfunctional. And I think that quote is, sums it up perfectly. We have a serious job to do that we are currently not doing. Yeah, another one was Obama and the Obama administration was known as No Drama Obama. That was his moniker. And we've kind of pivoted from the No Drama Obama to constant drama. Now, I can understand politically why, from a campaign perspective, this worked for Trump very effectively. And this worked. I don't. I think if there is a significant amount, you could say, well, let me put it this way. You could say that there is a little bit of art of misdirection going on, getting people to ignore some issues that the White House might not want people to focus on by creating some sensational story, which is kind of meaningless every day. And maybe they're just misdirecting all of us in, in, in that way. I don't, I don't know. I don't get that. But I will say, I mean, really what we're looking at right now is just chaos and, you know, a lot of settling down. It's exhausting. You know, what's interesting, I think, what's different this week, and, and I think this is something that, that you have to sort of be an observer to understand and, and really appreciate as it's happening, but I think this week was, was different than the first few weeks. And, and the reason is, is that the mistakes and the stumbling we're seeing this week was not because of something that President Trump did. It wasn't about a tweet. Right. He didn't manufacture are, it. The, he did, these were, that's exactly right. These were not manufactured mistakes. These were actual mistakes where we're starting to see the lack of experience, the lack of, of proper vetting that we've talked about is actually coming to fruition where cabinet picks based on on, on issues that we've seen others stumble in the past, right? Simple, you know, you know, uh, the, the pick for labor secretary. Yeah, um, poster. That, that sort of... That pulled that was pulled today was based on mistakes that we've seen other cabinet secretaries in the past make and, and other people. But that's the kind of thing you ask the guy. I mean, the first thing you say to anybody is, is there anything that's happened to you in your past that's possibly embarrassing? Now, there's only two options. Either they didn't ask him. Actually, I guess there's three options. Either they didn't ask him, and that's malpractice, or they asked him and he lied. Okay, then he doesn't shouldn't be there. Or 
They asked him. He told the truth, and he didn't think it was a big deal. What we're talking about is the fact that his wife went on national TV. She went on Oprah years ago, and yes, it was years ago, and said that he used to beat her, and he abused her. And look, I'm not judging. She recanted. Maybe it happened. Maybe it didn't. She said it didn't happen in the end, but it doesn't really matter. There's just, somebody. A simple Google search would find <laughs> would that Oprah found, clip. Would have found any of this. That is um, correct. And this is not complicated. And, and again, I, I it doesn't think it's take so, sophisticated political research. But this is what makes this week just a bit different because this is this is we're seeing like real cracks. You know, it, it's hard to say that this was planned or a diversion. These were legitimate stumbles that that this administration has made, not by their own doing, which. You know, we've talked about this before. You know, there's enough of these things that happen that don't create your own. They didn't create their own this week, and, and now we're seeing that they're stumbling just by by virtue of the fact that they're just not doing a good job of running government. Yeah, and the other thing, I mean, there are a couple of things that go on with Flynn here that have got to really bother you as an outsider or as an American. And forget about the fact, okay, I get the fact that well, let me start with this. Trump has this blind spot for Russia. I can't explain it. I don't understand it. I don't know why. But I've said said this going back, I think, before we started the show together, even back to last year, that this was going to be his Achilles heel. That anything to do with Russia is good because you can't get Republicans to back you up on the Russia thing. Because everybody else knows that Russia is an adversary. Nobody looks at Russia as a, as a friend. So therefore, nobody's coming to your rescue when it comes to Russia. The other thing is that how is it that Mike Flynn, General Mike Flynn, General Michael Flynn is one of the most senior, at one point was one of the most senior intelligence officers in the whole country, head of the Defense Intelligence Agency. Is he the one guy who doesn't know that the FBI is listening into conversations of foreign diplomats, that the phones are touched? He had a phone call with the Russian ambassador. You know, I mean, I've watched every TV show having to do with this. They always tap the phones. And, uh, you know, you're taking it a step farther. Should he have known? Should he have made that call? Right. That, I think well, that, that's, that, that, that's a judgment thing. I'm just saying the, the, the idea of them not knowing that there was a transcript out there and not knowing that somebody was going to come back and then essentially lying about it because you think you're not going to get caught. People only lie because they think they're not going to get caught, right? Or they just, I well, or or I, or I think you know you're 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 such a narcissist and you're leading a narcissist administration that you think you're untouchable. We can make these mistakes. We can make these ga- gaffes, and no one's paying attention. And if they are paying attention, they clearly don't care. Look how far we've gotten do acting and operating the way we are. Sadly, you know, you reach a point where you know, and also I think this week, you know, the, the executive orders are slowing down because you're running out of things you could do unilaterally just because you want to. Right, those things are slowing down because you now have to to work with other people and and do things sort of within the confines of the rules, and slowly but surely they're realizing. I mean, take a look at, at you know we we joked a bit about you know uh, a bit about uh, Nordstrom's. I think we spoke about it last week yeah. about about the tweet um, that President Trump sent out. Again, if the president has immunity from from these conflict of interest cases, that's one thing. But then. Kellyanne Conway is the president's spokesman, goes ahead and and promotes from the White House uh, Ivanka Trump's line and actually is getting punished for it, right? The as ethic, she should be. And as well she should be, but they're starting to realize they are not invincible. That is good, and it's hitting them like a ton of bricks. This was a very telling week, I think, for the American people and for, for the direction that this administration is going. Well, to and 
let me point out that from my perspective, the most significant piece of this is the Mike Pence piece. I'm talking about the fact that the White House knew seemingly for three weeks that Mike Flynn had serious issues, that he had essentially misled the vice president, had allowed Mike Pence to go on national TV and deny and make denials on his behalf. They didn't tell him. They didn't let him know. And Mike Pence to me is, uh, well, I know Mike Pence is the reason that a lot of conservatives were willing to vote for Donald Trump. We're willing to go along and to uh, because Mike Pence was there because he gave that credibility to him. And if Mike Pence, number one, you have to wonder if Pence, Pence seemingly had a very strong role in the administration, but if they're keeping things from him, that's surprising. But if Pence is being sidelined, I think that's going to be very troubling to a lot of Republicans on the Hill. That's going to be troubling to a lot of conservatives in the greater outer conservative movement. And you start to wonder who's in the inside circle. I mean, literally, it was a couple of hours before the resignation became public where, again, the president's spokespeople were all over the news media saying that uh, that General Flynn has the full support right. of the president. Kelly Conway went on TV full, full confidence, confidence of the president. Of and course. Two hours later... There's a resignation saying, you know, not only did he resign, but we've known about this for three weeks. And I mean, it is just bad. Wait, wait, and then on top of that, there were numerous contacts over the course of months between campaign officials and Russian intelligence agents. It's 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 mind boggling. Let's put it. And and just to sort of, I I don't know if this is sort of lightening the mood or lightening the situation, but but also go ahead, lighten. Also reported yesterday that we have Russian submarines thirty miles yes, apparently off the coast of of uh, of Connecticut. (laughs) Yeah. Well, look, you know, the Russians are coming. That's that's <laughs> it's pretty. It's but we're back to those days. But uh, look, uh, the president seems to be very comfortable criticizing just about everybody. I think you know the Washington Post, the New York Times, CNN doesn't matter. The one person he will not criticize is Vladimir Putin. Well, let's he see. just will not go after Putin. And so well, let's just flip straight to to yesterday's. Uh, let's so yeah. Well, well, let's talk about you know our uh, Prime Minister Bibi Netanyahu comes to the White House. Not necessarily an auspicious time without a national security advisor, without a national security team. And it did seem to me that the president was winging it a little bit. It's it, <laughs> it was. I mean, he was look, certainly breaking new ground. It was interesting. It was interesting in the way, not only in what he said, but the way and the tone of the conversation. Now, maybe a lot of people look at that as a positive thing. That you know, it was a it was more friendly banter than two world leaders. I would say it was friendly. There was no question. No, no, no it's not not a question whether it was friendly, but it was lit- what I saw as as banter between two world leaders. You know, essentially for the president to say, well, you know, you know, Mr. Prime Minister, we'd 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 like for you to consider to to rethink and potentially halt new development new settlement development where the the prime minister responds you know we'll con- we'll take that under advisement or we'll consider it and the president says well that didn't seem too convincing and so it was it, it was great don't, don't get me wrong i'm i'm very there is nothing that more important to me than the bond between the united states and israel and so i'm i'm happy to see that well but i'm happy th- to see some chemistry because after 8 years Correct. of uh, of the worst type of body language and and absolute just friction between the the between the president, meaning President Obama, and Netanyahu. This is very welcome. No, there's no question, and I'm I'm very happy, and I'm 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 happy that this president is taking this tone and, and is doing this. I, I think my fear is is 
if it, is it real, right? What's real and what's not real for this president? Meaning, what's to say that he's not going to wake up tomorrow and, and think something differently or, or say something differently or feel something differently, and all of a sudden, we're dealing with a very different uh, a very different tone, a very different mood. So I'm very happy with the way yesterday went. I, you know, I'm, I'm hopeful to see more and continued relationship, but... I'm not quite convinced yet. Now, I, again, I know people are, and I and they're entitled to be. I'm not quite convinced that that this is the end of uh, you know it's going to be all uh, you know it's going to be all roses and sunshine. Well, I just don't know what the United States position is now. I mean, I think that's I think that should be. Uh, perhaps we're going to find out a little bit later. We'll we'll preview the uh, the hearing uh, coming up this morning for David Friedman as ambassador in a couple seconds. But what is the United States position? I mean, it, it's unclear. I, uh, the president promised to move the embassy. Doesn't seem to be happening. Prom- he promised there would be no daylight between the United States and Israel. I mean, I'm whatever that means, but you know, he's calling for a settlement freeze, and he didn't actually say, as was stated in a statement from the White House, that existing settlements can expand, but no new settlements, which was the George W. Bush position. He didn't clarify. He didn't clarify. And now he's saying, well, I don't know if I had a two-state solution, one-state solution. I mean, a one-state solution potentially cuts both ways. That's not really something, you know, it's one-state solution if it's Israel. Yeah, I'm not looking for a one-state solution that's not Israel. Michael, look, this is a, a, a stark contrast to the speech that that president obama gave in cairo in egypt you know eight years ago and a stark contract to, to john kerry as well oh well that's that goes without saying and we've talked about that but you know when, when president obama came in the idea of sort of smacking israel to show the world that 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 almost the united states was going to negotiate on behalf of the palestinians and so there's no question look i i welcome this relationship i think it's exciting time um but you know I'm cautiously optimistic about the future because I don't think we have a stated hard position here. I think that we're still sort of going off the whims of a president that, that you know, you can only trust until the next tweet. And then, well, at 10 a.m., which is right after this show, David Friedman will be going before the Senate Foreign Relations Committee. David Friedman of Woodmere, New York, a uh, local boy made good. Uh, and father was the rabbi of uh synagogue in North Woodmere that welcomed Ronald Reagan and we'll see maybe we'll know a little bit more about what the actual position is I mean the one thing that was interesting was that uh, the president started talking about there's going to be a deal we're going to have a deal. Uh, we, it's going to be such a big deal. Everybody Indeed. doesn't know what the kind of deal it's going to be. The greatest deal ever. I think. Now, it's possible. I mean, we, we've seen, we've read that this is this is what they're going to try and do is get a whole bunch of Sunni Arab countries and bring them into a peace deal with Israel and basically force or essentially bring the Palestinians along in that in that regard. And, you know, maybe that's doable. I mean, maybe that happens. I mean, let's turn to, you know, I think I, I think there's a lot to be told and, and uh, the story is yet to be written. I, I think there's definitely concerns. But I, I can tell you that I'm, I'm curious to watch today's hearing. Uh, I think it's going to be the most interesting part. I think the most interesting. And, well, for and, Jews, this is going to be the most interesting hearing of all. No question. No, there's no question, of course. But I, I'd be very curious to see where pro-Israel Democrats sort of fall. Um, I think that you're going to see a very unified front from the Republicans. They're going to be very supportive. Um, I'm, I'm curious, as a Democrat myself, sort of a lot of pro-Israel, historically, you know, um, hawkish pro-Israel supporters who are going to have to confront David Friedman, who clearly the party is pulling them the other way, as, as we're seeing from things as 
um, like nominees like like uh, like Ellison to, to run the DNC and, and other left wing factions of the of the party. I'm curious to see where proclaimed pro-Israel supporters are going to be tomorrow in the United States Senate and ultimately how they're going to vote. Remember, this is more than just, excuse me, uh, this is more than just a hearing. There's going to be a vote, right? So next week, this is the year today is Thursday and next week we go into break for President's Week. In the next couple of weeks, there's going to be a vote where every U.S. Senator is going to be on the record whether they're going to support or not. And so I think we have a very interesting uh, few weeks ahead of us, much, I think, very similar to what we saw during the Iran deal slash debacle uh, in terms of like senators are going to have to go on the record to make a determination where they stand on Israel. Well, there's no question that the Jewish left is campaigning hard, very hard against David Friedman. I mean, they J Street has been sending out multiple emails uh, about Friedman. I think that they, you know, call your senator, stop David Friedman. Uh, that has been really the, the the key. And, you know, he certainly didn't hurt, help himself by calling J Street and their fellow travelers capos, or worse than capos, I should say. Definitely an unfortunate choice of words. Rumor has it that he will be retracting that at the hearing, that he is going to kind of walk that back, as uh, which would be a smart move. I think, but they are a, there are a number of organizations that are going hard and trying to make this a real te- uh, nightmare, as you said, for many different uh, Democrats, and to try and get them to be on the record against it. Um, you know, some of the the. Um, the, ortho- the OU put out a statement saying there's no denying that many American Jews and other pro-Israel Americans share Mr. Friedman's deep skepticism—excuse me—skepticism towards this decades-old approach that has been tried and tested and failed repeatedly to deliver security and peace to the people of Israel, Palestinians, and the region. That's with regard to the peace process, and yeah, because he has ex- expressed skepticism with regard to the peace process as well. So we're going to see. He's a great speaker. He is a great debater, a very formidable lawyer, formidable in- intellect, and I expect it to be interesting. So for you C-SPAN junkies out there, uh, tune in at 10 o'clock to C-SPAN and you can watch the hearing in its entirety. Uh, I think that's going to be interesting. I mean, look, Phil, I'll put you on the spot for a second. Chuck Schumer, what does he do here? You know, it's you got to wonder now between leader of the Democrats as well as having a very significant, very loud pro-Israel constituency. Look, Chuck has historically been a, a strong fighter for Israel, for the Jewish people. We've all heard uh, nobody's this, questioning. Yeah, we've all we've heard. This Wasn't speech. questioning his bona fides. No, no, no. And and, and he came out uh, in opposition to the Iran deal against a, a tremendous amount of pressure from the White House and from from left wing Democrats. I think you know. Look, I, I, David I Friedman's a constituent. He's a New Yorker. That's true. I, I can't tell you what what the senator is going to do. I can tell you that I I know at the end of the day, uh, he's going to put a lot of thought and a tremendous amount of thought and and. You know, I, I think he'll do the right thing. I don't know what the right thing is uh, for him, I should say. Um, you know, look, there's, I think we all benefit as Jews, as New Yorkers. We benefit from having Chuck Schumer in a leadership position in the United States Senate. I think that benefits us in ways, many of which we're gonna, we see and, and many of which we don't see. And so I think having him there is very helpful. And, and I know that, that he is going to obviously pay attention to the hearings, but I also know at some point he's going to sit down with David Friedman and have these difficult conversations. I think there was a point- They haven't sat down yet? I don't think they've sat down oh. yet, uh, not that I'm aware of. And, and, and I think there was even a point uh, I read that David Friedman had made a, a, 
a comment about the senator, uh, Senator Schumer himself as well. And so, I, you know, look, I, I think there's there's a lot of conversations to be had before this is. But I, I you know, before this is all over, I, I don't know where the senator is going to be. And, and, and I'm confident he's going to do what he thinks is in the best interest of New Yorkers and for Israel. And Senator, senator Joan Brand has charted a far left course. Uh, and, you know, for another New Yorker, who knows? I think Senator Gillibrand is in a completely different situation altogether, right? You know, it's, it's hard for... I think it's going to be very difficult for her to to, to stand up and speak out against. I mean, look, I, I, I'm curious. I mean, I think that's part of the... I'm going to say this, and even though I just talked, spoke against it, but this is part of the political theater. As serious as this is, I mean... To, to hear what Senator Gillibrand has to say over the next couple of weeks is, is going to be very telling. And, and I think it's very, very different. You know, you can't put her and Senator Schumer in the same position because I think they're, you know, it's very, very different positions that they're in politically and, and in terms of governing. And so I'd be very curious to see uh, to see how, how things fall out. All right. Well, let's switch switch gears. This is spin class here on the Nachum Single Network. Michael Fragan coming to you together with Phil Goldfeder talking another week in politics. And, uh, Let's talk about New York a little bit, you know, and I, I some interesting items came out coming about New York uh, this week, particularly a special election. Probably a lot of you did not know that there was a special election this week well, on Valentine's Day. We uh, know that because it's in northern Manhattan where Yeshiva <laughs> University happens to reside. Of course. Is that the Yeshiva University district? It no. is not our district. Not is, the district. It is our neighboring district. So Bill Perkins, sitting state senator, wins the city council seat that was vacated by Inez Dickens, who went to go to the assembly because you know, she was going to be term limited. And lo and behold, apparently, and they're saying that the former assemblyman, who is Keith Wright, who tried to make a transition to Congress and didn't win, he is now the favorite to take that state senate seat that Bill Perkins vacated in order to join the council that in order to that to replace Inez Dickens, who then joined the assembly. This is probably what makes people so cynical about politicians. For those of you who are musical chairs of, of absolute, I mean, can't they find anybody new in Harlem to run for office? I can't speak to that. You know, that's you're an expert in Northern Manhattan now. Okay, <laughs> can't they find anybody new? Um, I I can't quite speak to sort of. Who, I mean, this is literally a revolving door of three politicians. I had a lot of friends who they're just run switching for the seat. seats. Um, I, I had a lot of friends who ran for the council seat. Um, Larry Scott Blackman. Larry's Mar- a la- good man. Larry's a great man. We worked together on the Bloomberg campaign in 2005. You were there as well. It was. Um, we worked together when he was at the Parks Department. Marvin Holland, who helped me. Um, when he was with uh, the Transport Workers Union, when we were fighting for transportation issues in Southern Queens and Rockland, actually so, had a great party name, Holland for Harlem. Holland for Harlem. So there was a lot of great people running. I mean, look, it, it comes down to name recognition. I mean, that's Harlem, of course, being a Dutch word, so <laughs> that's why Holland for Harlem. Okay, I got it. The uh, it's it's difficult to run for office. I mean, it's a it's a challenge to run for office. It's a challenge to, to step up and and look. Running for office is not all the glam and glory that people think it is. I mean, you're on the front lines of, of getting beat up for problems in the community, problems in Albany, problems in Washington. and so. But what about the cynicism of it? What about the fact that people are cynical about politicians who just trade seats with one another? You know, people should be able to run. Um, people have a oh, right to run. And, feel and, fair enough. And I look, I'm, I'm at Yeshiva University now where I'm encouraging and, and training a whole new generation of people to run for office. So I'm, I'm trying to do my kudos, part. Kudos to you for that one. Okay, I'll give you another, another one. Okay, and I'm just going to take a little shot at the mayor here. And not that he, he gave a state of the city this week. I'm not saying he's the city seems to actually be 
doing okay. But he's raising money for a legal defense fund to defend himself from fundraising, from charges of fundraising irregularities. So he's kind of going back to the same people and saying, hey, give me money to defend myself because I may have inappropriately raised money from you the first time. I mean, I this just, it's, I don't know. Again, another reason to be cynical about politicians. It's uh, the legal, the whole legal defense fund, by the way, is that at least he's not using his campaign funds to pay for legal fees. You know, look, we, we see it all the time. We see it, unfortunately, in, in our own community where you can't afford to pay for attorneys. And so you have to raise money true, to, true. to help you do that. And so, you know, it, it's hard to judge someone on, on, on these things. And also, look, we live no, in a society. He is, he is entitled to defend himself, certainly. Correct. I'm innocent just, until proven guilty. I'm, I'm not, you know, no, no, no question. I'm not. That wasn't my, but my point here is that the it's there is something that seems uh that seems odd about going ahead and going there now to raise because the legal defense fund doesn't have the same restrictions that raising regular money does. Look, I I rather talk, you know, I rather talk and, and to take a page out of Kellyanne Conway's book. I rather talk about the way you talk this, what you want to talk. I about. want to talk about the way this city is operating, and I think that you know the the mayor gave his state of the city address this week, and and I think the city is heading in the right direction in terms of the way it is operating. We had a, a snowstorm. Um, we had a snowstorm, uh, uh, you know, that we broadcast through New York City. New York City, and, and tremendous kudos to the Department of Sanitation, did an amazing job of not only preparing but getting us out of that snow. And so, the city is operating. It's operating. It's operating. It's functioning, and, and things are moving forward. And, and I'm, I give the mayor credit for that. Okay. Well, we're going to get more into city politics as 2017 comes along. But I want to close with this incredible absurdity. They just released the cost for those really well. I don't want to say ugly. We'll call them, call them gaudy. I love New York blue signs that are now doored every single highway in the state. $8.1 million. Originally, they were supposed to be $1.7 billion. And all I could say is I want the job of the guy who says something's going to cost this. It ends up costing five times as much, but he somehow he keeps his job. Well, here's the kicker, Michael. The Tell kick, me. The kicker is, is that the signs were not made in New York. They were made in Arkansas. Even though we love New York. We love New York. We're not making money them in New York. York. New York state government is not spending their own money on their own promotional materials here in New York. They're making them actually in Arkansas. I guess that's... Governor Cuomo should start wearing a hat that says make New York great again. And that's <laughs> it for this week here on Spin Class. Stay tuned for Jew the City Speaks with Allison Josephs here on the Nahum Single Network. See you next week.